0: So let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you uh, for this day, Lord. I thank you uh, that you're a God of all peoples and all nations and that you are doing something around the work world th- through all people groups, that you're using your ch- church and in large and small ways uh, to affect people for Christ. And so I thank you, God, that you're working in our church. I thank you uh, just for placing on a young six-year-old girl's heart, Lord, to do something for the church in Romania that are, that's serving the Ukrainian people. And, and so, Father, I pray that you would bless her endeavor. We do pray for, uh, the guesses and the work that's happening there in, in Romania. I just thank you for their, uh, just their being so connected with us relationally that, that, uh, that they can just text back and forth and, and sort of work a plan out so quickly. And Father, we do pray for the, the Manning family who's serving in Northern Arizona with uh, Indian Bible College. I do pray, Father, for the work um, that you're doing through this, this, this college um, of preparing and equipping uh, Native Americans to, uh, to really be a light uh, for Christ amongst the reservations both uh, in um, the United States and into Canada. I pray for these young people and their, their unique lives and places that you've placed them. And so, Father, I just thank you for Indian Bible College uh, and the, the ministry that's there and for how you're using the Manning family to really help and equip uh, these young Native Americans to be a light unto their peoples. And so we ask that you bless them in a special way. And Father, as we turn our attention uh, to the story of, of Genesis, Lord, as we're progressing through Abraham's life. Father, I pray that you would help us to understand the story that is before us, that you would uh, speak to us through your word, by your Spirit. Lord, help us to understand what happened in context, that we would understand the theological significance of today's story. And Father, I pray ultimately that you would help us to grow in our understanding of your Father's love for us, and that you would, um, Lord, help move in our hearts that we would just uh, be all in with our lives with you, that we would surrender all to you, and that we would be uh, just available to be used by you, that we would worship you, the one who, who gives all things to us. We confess that we often place our hope and our thoughts upon the blessings that you bestow on us and take our eyes off of you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes rightly aligned on you, and we thank you that you're a God who allows retests in our in our faith walk. and And so, Father, we thank you for this huge retest that's happening today in Abraham's life. And it's in Christ's good name I pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to read the first eight verses of Genesis chapter 22. <clears throat> uh, now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I tell you. So Abram rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac, his son, and he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Abraham Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so the two of them walked on together Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. And Father, we do thank you and praise you for this story. It's uh, it's emotional just reading it, to think of a father being placed in this situation and a son allowing himself to be put in this situation. Father, I thank you for uh, their great display of faith, and I pray, Father, that you would grow our faith as we read and study this story today. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen. Um, I love that so much of the Bible is not about the beginning of the story. It's about the end of the story. It's, it's not about like how your marriage starts, it's how your marriage ends. It's not about how you start the Christian life, it's about how you end the Christian life. It's, it's God is, God is this God of many, uh, uh, f- stories of forgiveness, of redos, and second chances, third chances, fourth chances. I love retests. One of my most uh, important retests in my life, uh, sort of early on, was when I was going through SEAL training. So our Hell Week, it went Sunday night to the Friday night, like or Friday afternoon, like all of them. But our Hell Week came the week after Thanksgiving. So the week before Hell Week, our week was a little bit shorter. And so they were pressed on time. And getting to Hell Week is a super difficult deal. And so I think it was like Tuesday or Wednesday before Hell Week, we had to take a life-saving test. To call it a life-saving test is sort of... Uh, It's not exactly what lifeguards do. I'll put it that way. It's like wrestling a monkey in the water, and whether you survive or not is dependent on whether the instructor wants to pass or fail you. Like, there's no—as an instructor, it was way more fun. As a student, it was miserable. And so I went into this test, and I'm pretty good in the water. I got the instructor after, like, a series of five wrestling matches, get him to the end. And then he says, you failed. And I'm like, oh, great. And so then you get one more pass or you're kicked out of the program. But because it was sure and because of Thanksgiving, they said, oh, you'll just take this in two weeks. Well, the two weeks was after Hell Week. And so I'm like going through Hell Week, which is bad enough. Then I have this like lingering like I failed. I'm going to like this is just leave it to me. 200 guys go through the program. Then like all but 20, 20 of them wash out through hell week, and then I'm going to go back to life-saving test. I'm going to get kicked out after making it through hell week because I can't pass the stupid life-saving test. And I ultimately passed. But I was so happy for that retest that seemed a whole lot easier. I'm sure the instructors, well, I know for a fact the instructors do stuff just to mess with you, just to see how you're going to respond how you're going to respond to the trials and to the pressures and the things that they put on you. It's not even necessarily for the outcome of the actual event. It's more to test your character and how you're going to respond that second time. And so in today's story, Abraham has taken a number of tests. He's failed a number of the tests. And here we are at the end of his life, and in his Christian or his faith curriculum he's moved from like faith 101 to like a phd level in what it means to walk by faith and god's going to present this test to him that's absolutely just mind-boggling like i read this story having two young boys not like not even teasing myself to think oh yeah i could totally do that no like i'm like i don't know how i could pass this test Thankfully, this isn't a test that God has given me. It's not been a part of my faith journey at this point. But Abram, has, he has reached this place where God is now ready to test him. Verse 1. So now it came about after these things. A, a, a lot of time has elapsed. We Last uh, last week, um, Abraham, or not Abraham, Isaac was weaned. So he was somewhere between the ages of three and five years old. We don't know exactly. Then we come to verse one of this chapter. It says, "After these things, most commentators—it depends on which one you pick up and which one you read. If you were to go to like Jewish tradition, they'd say that Abraham could be as old as thirty-seven years old. Um, conservative scholars would say that as young as like eighteen. Um, so this is uh, Isaac isn't just this little boy who's like three or five years old now. He's he's now somewhere between eighteen years old and thirty years old." Uh, The the terminology, the word that is used for Isaac in this story is something that you would use for a young man, like a a young adult. And so after these things, they have the season of going through their life. There doesn't seem to be any major speed bumps. But now God is about to offer this huge test. And we read that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I will tell you. And so we see that God is about to test him or to retest him. It's another sort of opportunity for Abraham to display his faith. How will he respond? This is not a test to produce faith. This is a test uh, to expose his faith. It's a word that could be used two different ways. If you have, I think in the King James version, I think it might say God tempted him. And this word to be tempted or to be tested, they kind of are used in the Hebrew sort of inter- interchangeably. But this is a test. The best illustration I I came across in, in looking at this, I'm not a big car guy. I just like a car that starts when I turn the key and goes until like I want it to stop. Um, but But People who make cars, they make their car and then they run it through all of their tests and simulations and they crash it a bunch of times and then they do miles per hour and a whole bunch of other stuff that I don't even know what they're testing for. And then they turn over the keys of a brand new car to like a car magazine that I don't even know the name of the car magazine or whatever it is. And then you, they, then those people, are trying to ruin the car. They're trying to find all of the problems with it, but the people that make the car said, test it. I'm confident in it. The people who are going through the test, they're like, oh, we're going to find the follies in it, and they're going to write their little report. And so God here isn't trying to break Abraham. He's showing him this thing. The test is to reveal the strength of his character, the strength of his faith, the strength of his, how in is he with God? How much faith does he have in what God is doing? And so God says, hey, you there, Abraham? Yeah, I'm here. What's up? He said, now take your son, your only son. It's been pointed out that he does have another son, Ishmael. And there's a lot you can read into this, but a lot of people sort of take this from the spiritual sense and say God is no longer looking at this son that was produced in, in the flesh. They're looking at the son produced in the faith as sort of a sign of encouragement that God, your mistakes, your sins, the things you've done in the past, God isn't seeing those. And he says, your only son whom you'd love, which is fascinating. Um, so we read the Bible and we see this word love all the time, right? Like love is a word that seems oh so familiar in the Bible. But it came to my attention this week that as I was reading and studying on this, this is the first time in the Bible where God has used this word love. Nowhere else up to this point has this word been used, so, so far as I can tell and what other people sort of verify. So in explaining love, God goes to this picture of this father who's now 100 years old or however old he is. This son that was promised, this great miracle, all of his eggs are in this basket. This feeling of this bond between a father and a son is the first time God decides, hey, on oh, my word, this is where I'm going to the first time interject this word love. This is huge. So we know that Abraham loves his son. This is like, it's everything. This The son is everything to him. This is the greatest gift that God has delivered to him. And then he says, I want you to go to the land of and Abraham, I can see he's going, okay, Check. I can do that? Yeah, I love my kid. Okay, what do you want me to do? Anything you want. I'll do anything you want. I need you to go to the land of Moriah, and I want you to offer him there. And I can just say, what? But God, don't you remember back in chapter 12 when you made this covenant with me in chapter 15 when you ratified it with me? You've told me that every all of these promises, this great Abrahamic covenant, all of it is dependent on this boy. We've, we've made our mistakes along the way. But now we understand, we trust you, we believe you. Like, why are you doing this to us? But I want you to take this son to this land of Moriah, and I want you to offer him there as a, as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I tell you. <sighs> Maybe it's just me. Like, this is, this is a huge test that God is laying before him. And as we sort of look at this, this huge story of, of what God is about to do here, This is actually like, as we look in the rearview mirror, this is a tremendous opportunity that God is giving Abraham. God says, you know what? Your faith is maturing. I believe that you can make this step and you can trust me through this. And I do think that there is a lesson for us. Whatever trial you're going for in your story, if God puts in your curriculum that you're going to suffer in this particular way and go through this trial, there is an opportunity for you to respond in faith or not in faith. And they say, God, I don't understand what you're doing in the midst of this, but I'm going to trust you. Lord, help me to see what you're doing. Help me to be obedient. Help me to respond in the way that you want me to respond. And the story just in this Genesis chapter 22, the story just slows down so much where all of these little details, it doesn't just say, oh, God spoke to Abraham and said, hey, you need to go offer your son and just like in a very, uh, Mark, sort of way in the Gospels, like just like just the facts, you know, it's like all of a sudden it s- slows down. Your only son, that son whom you love, that son, that's the one that I want you to go do this. He interjects the word love, like all of this is like just like like bubbling up the emotions and the feelings that Abraham is going through or that we would imagine that he's going through as we look at the story. Parents are like, hardwired to care for their children. Like it's within them to be willing to like sacrifice their life on behalf of the child, not the other way around. And here Abraham is being asked to do something that just seems unthinkable. Not seems unthinkable, is unthinkable. So verse three, so Abraham arose early the next morning and he saddled his donkey And he took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. So he packs everything up that he needs. They begin to make their journey. It's believed that they're down in Beersheba. They're going to make their way up to Jerusalem. It's about a 50-mile journey. So day one, God says to do this. Day two, they load everything up and they begin to go. Verse 4, on the third day. Now we're on the third day. Abraham uh, raised his eyes and he saw the place from a distance. Abram said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go over there, and we will worship and return to you. So, so far, this story kind of seems beautiful. Like, if you're the guys that are there, like, oh, this is okay. So he's going to go worship. He makes the journey. Um, I want to pause here to show some pictures. Uh, my first trip to Israel, the thing that struck me about being in the land of the Bible and seeing uh, the the place where things happened When I read the Bible, I so think chronologically. So I think like, okay, in the beginning God created, and I sort of just work my way this way. But then going to Israel, I realized that the story, while it unfolds chronologically, in the geographically, it folds, sort of unfolds on layers. That, That there are these pieces of land that story after story after story after story occurred on. So we know where this location is. So if we go to the next slide. So this isn't an actual picture. This is a drawing. Whether or not there was a land here, or a land, a city here is, it could or could not have been. But this is sort of the location of, of Jerusalem. Um, there's a little sliver of a mountain that's a finger that runs there. It's really not that impressive of a mountain. If you're reading the story and you're imagining like Mount Pal- Palomar, it's sort of like a mound of land surrounded by other mountains. And so they would have sort of seen this area. The town there, there's a water source, so it would make sense for there to be some dwelling, but we don't really know. Then uh, we're going to fast forward in the story of the Bible, and there's a guy, David, who's going to come along. And David's a very significant guy. David made a boo-boo with the Lord. He sinned big time. And God says, you're going to have to correct this. You have three options. He goes through this whole process. David says, you know what, I'm going to go with the option where I take God's wrath because I'm going to bank on his mercifulness. And so then the whole story goes where there's this other guy's land. Turns out the other guy's land, can we go to the next slide? So this is the same picture, just a different drawing. So this is that where the town was. And then you see the Ophel, like in Mount Moriah, as you go there, that was the other guy's land. David goes up there, says buys the land, he makes a sacrifice there, and the angel of the Lord appears, and there's a big sword over the city of David. Really cool thing. So uh, uh, another significant, this is the same location that Abraham sacrifices Isaac. Then if we fast forward another slide to a modern day picture, this little sliver of land, this circle right here, that's the finger. That's the city of David. As you go up the mountain, oh, there's a location that might look familiar to you, right? So you have, you have the place where the temple was ultimately built. And then you have the dome of the rock. The dome of the rock was a later addition, obviously, after the temple was gone. This is a, this is a area of, of land that you have three uh, major religions that go to the spot. So you have the Western Wall, which is on the, can you guys guess which side of the? The western side of the temple area, that's where the Jews descend on. And the reason that's the place that they descend on is because they really don't have access to where the temple area is. So they go to the location that's the closest to where the temple was, where God was the holiest of holies. And they wouldn't want to step on the actual footprint of where God is. So they prefer to keep it safe and sort of be at a distance. Um, and if they do go into the temple area or the, the Dome of the Rock area... They will only walk on the perimeter of the compound within the inside of the walls for fear that they might accidentally set on the spot that was the holiest of holies. They do not want to do that. Then you have the Muslims, which built the Dome of the Rock over the rock area. And the reason that this exists is because in in Islam, they changed the story that we're reading today. The story of Abraham sacrificing Isaac they put Ishmael in there. And so then later in history, they said that this place is important to us because this is where God or Abraham sacrificed Ishmael. And then obviously the Christians and much stuff happened here. Uh, while we can't say the exact spot in this general footprint within, you know, like if you're playing darts with human history and geography, this is effectively the spot where Jesus was crucified. So all of these things are happening. On the same location, there is something about Jerusalem that, that, that is special to God. And so here we are when, when we see this story. Abram has no idea. We look back and go, oh, this was like a story, a picture that God is doing something. And he's painting this really powerful picture that ultimately that we'll look back on as a picture of, of Christ. That Isaac is a type, a, a foreshadowing of what would come with Jesus. There's so much of this within this story. So Isaac or Abraham sees the location. He says, I'm going to go there. Maybe we go back to that first slide so we can kind of like, we can, re, we can rewind sort of, hit, no, not maybe the second slide. Sorry, you're very literal in what I was thinking. Okay, so, so now we're thinking of that little hole, like that little hill. So he sees the spot. He's like, okay, I got the spot. Um, verse 6, Abram took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it at on Isaac, his son, and he took, his, he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So if the two of them walked on together. So now here's father and son, a beautiful little picture. You know, dad and son have a little day out. He got his torch, got the knife. I just wonder what Isaac's thinking. He sees everything. like He's old enough that he understands the whole offering process. The knife is used to kill the animal. And then you would butcher the animal up into pieces, and then you would place it on the wood, and then you would set it all on fire as an offering. So he sees it like something's missing, and I love that the Bible records this, and it's also interesting that this is the only conversation recorded in Genesis between Abraham and Isaac. It's like the one conversation we have. So Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, hey, Dad. Dad. I got a question for you. <laughs> my father and he said, "Here I am, my son." And he said, "Behold, uh, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering?" Like I got some questions here. Like what's happening? Abram said, "Don't worry about it, kid. It's okay. I got it under control." Abram said, "God will provide for himself the land, the lamb for the burnt offering, my son." And the two of them walked on together. And, and I, I, this whole faith journey, like I do think some of the story, like it's really easy to look at the story from the perspective of like, what's God doing in Abraham's life? But I think so much of the story is also what's God doing in Isaac's life. And the father is sort of setting the example to the son and so much of like, I think the Christian life and walking by faith. It's, it's about being caught, not taught. And so now you see like Abraham, I'm sure he's terrified. This is his boy who he loves. God has said, this is going to happen. But Abraham obviously hasn't played all of his cards to his son. And he's walking forward by faith. And he's like, I sure, like, is he scouring, like looking for a, 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 like a ram or a goat or whatever he could sack? Is like, there anything out there? He's like, don't worry, son, everything's going to be okay. Like, and they journeyed on together. Then we come to verse 9, and they came to the place which God had told him. And Abram built the altar there and arranged the wood and kind of key point, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now we have to we have to put into perspective Abram is a very old, old man. Isaac is Isaac is a a, a man. Like he's 18 to 30, like wherever, whoever side you want to take in that, like I don't like he, he's, he's older. Anybody who's ever wrestled a child into their pajamas, like it can be a very difficult situation. And if we fast forward, if you're a hundred-year-old man with an 18 year- old son, there's no way you're taking your son. Like all he has to do is run. I mean, seriously, like a hundred-year-old man is not chasing after anybody, and so I think that also in the story we see Isaac's faith being demonstrated. He knows what's happening; like he's he got bound by his old man. It's not because, like, he probably had to help his dad tie the knot. Like, here, dad, let me help you out. Like, you're like you're, your hands are shaking, and I'm like. And I don't know if like Abraham's like weeping through this whole process, but I imagine this is like a horrible thing, but he's, he's he has to be going, "I don't know how this is going to work out, but I've tried to do things my own way. And all I know is that God's telling me this, and so I'm going to follow through. And as a sort of a footnote, to be clear, the Bible no way endorses child sacrifice. The, the law didn't exist during this time, but early on in, in the Levitical law, the peoples of this day, they were sacrificing children. God would say early on that this is not to happen. This is unacceptable. And before we as a culture sort of throw like the moral high ground, like, oh, this is so terrible. How could anybody be in this situation? Like the gruesome statistics since Roe v. Wade, in our nation we've aborted more children than are the populations of Washington, Oregon, California, Arizona, New Mexico. Like I think there's one other state that you can add on there. More people than populate Ukraine. Like like we as a nation, have been doing all sorts of things very similar to this, so we can 't necessarily go into this and say, "Oh, well, how could somebody do like we 've been doing this to children for a long time in our nation, horrifically and the point of this story isn 't about the like God is not really asking him God wants to to, to see what 's in abraham 's heart. is he willing to follow him to to the this this nth degree. And as we come to verse 10, where Abram stretched out his hand and took out the knife to slay his son, so the son is bound, his, his hand is up like this, and trying to like grapple through, like what is he thinking? Is there any way that we can figure out what Abraham is thinking in this moment? And we do because we can go to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19. And there the author of Hebrews explains to us what was going through his mind. And so we read in verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. And it was to him who it was said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received them back as a type. He didn't have anything about the resurrection. Like, we have the New Testament. We can see that these bodies will be taken and then risen uh, ultimately. In this moment, as he has a knife up over his son, in his heart, his son is already dead, and he knows that God is so faithful and that all the promises rest on his son, so that whatever happened in this moment, like, even if he killed his son, that God would raise Isaac from the dead. He didn't understand it, but by faith, he believed that, that he... In this point of, of tension in his mind where these two truths seemed irreconcilable, he had to move forward because he knew God was faithful with his word. There are these moments when our faith will be tested. As I've read and pondered this story, I've reflected on my life, and there's like these snapshots of like where my faith was, was really tested. Like one was leaving the Navy like really grappling with like do I want to leave like I started bible college I didn't really think that like bible college led to ministry I don't know what I was thinking I just wanted to learn more of the bible and then I reached a point where like, no I'm supposed to get out and do something with the bible and so I'm like god but I'm if I tell, as I tell my dad as I talk to everybody I've 12 years in I'm 8 years away from retirement god's like well so what I can still provide for you outside of that like and so I had this huge like grappling match, and then I like finally was like, okay, I'll get out, I'll do that. And then I met Anna, and so then Anna and I were like moving along in our relationship. And then God all of a sudden said, "Hey, are you willing to stay in now that you have the girl?" And I remember that call with Anna, like saying, "Hey, I think God might be like asking me to stay in the military, to be a missionary within the SEAL teams." And I was like, "Well, that's a that's something you're going to really have to think about because I know God is not calling me to military life." And so then I was like, oh, Lord, I'm, like, really at a crossroads. Like, I'm, like, like I'm willing to stay in if that's what you're asking me to. And, like, Ann and I had our little, like, breakup window on that deployment where we kind of were, like, we have to go our separate ways. And then I got to that point, and then, like, God's like, no, nah, I don't want you to stay in. I just want to see if you're, like, willing to stay in. And then, obviously, we got married, and it all worked out. Like, But it was, like, this real, like, okay, like, God, am I still listening to you? You know A couple of my stories relate to Anna. You know, a lot of these testing stories I think come with our most like prized possessions and at the birth of Titus, like it was a super emergency as a placental abruption. Many of you were here then, and you knew it there, and you were next to us walking through this moment but But there was like this super natural sort of like how I responded like I was shocked with how I was responding in the moment of the situation. And I remember as like Anna's like horrifically bleeding out and the doctor is super panicked. It was surreal. It was like a movie in my mind. They took Anna, they locked the doors. They, and I was in this, in Palom, the old Palomar Hospital with nobody except white walls going, I don't like, I, and I, I remember in that moment going, Lord, if you take them both, I will still worship you. Like I remember crying there and saying, I will still worship you. And I don't know where that came from, but if I was to rewind 15 years off, my faith wasn't ready for that test then, but I remember being in the hallway sort of not actually with my hands raised, but my heart sort of like, even if you take them, I will still stay faithful to you. And he, he's like, okay, I'm not going to take them. Like I, it, but it was a test. And we have these moments where it's like these beautiful opportunities where we have the opportunity to run from God or to run towards him. And what he wants us to do is to be all in, like regardless of what he does. Like, like Lord, here's everything I have. My hands are open. You take and you give. Whatever you want, blessed be your name, as Job said, as everything was taken from him. And so there, Abraham is in this moment of like full surrender. He doesn't have a clue how this is going to work out, but he knows God's character, and he knows that he can trust God. And so because of that, he's like, I'm all in. And in that moment, we hear, "Time out! Time out! <laughs> stop what you're doing, Abraham." Jesus writes himself into the story. The Angel of the Lord, I believe this is the pre-incarnate Christ, called from him from heaven and said, "Abraham, stop what you're doing." And Abraham says, "Here I am." Like I have, like the knife still up. Like, hey, yeah, yeah. What? I'm doing everything that you said. Like what? Like. And he said, "The Angel of the Lord, do not stretch your hand out against the lad and do nothing to him, for." For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And I think in this moment, this is what God is testing. Like, it's so easy for us to worship the things that God has given to us, to worship the blessing, not the one whom blesses us our prized possessions, like our children. Like, as we have kids to, like, trust them to walk with the sovereign God, the same sovereign God who's watching and taking care of you is also taking care of your children. And so I've talked to a lot of parents. Like, I I feel like I only have, like, experience with kids that are so far along, but then it's, like, the parents who are, like, far older than my kids and then the grandparents. Like, So I learn more, but I can tell it's like your kids are always your kids. It doesn't matter if you're like a great grandparent, your your little kids are your little kids. They can be like 80 years old and you're 100 years old, but they're still your little babies. And you can desire to be sovereign and control every little thing of their life because your fear and you're trying to hold on to them and cling them, but but God says, he desires us to say, these are your children. You gave me this window with them. As you took care of me, you'll take care of them. Our, our finances, bless you. Letting, like, like, we can either have faith with our money or our lack thereof money. Um, we can let money become our God. It, it could be having it or it could not be having it. Both can be your God's. And so there's this idea that like we should trust him for provision and care all built into the story, our future. What's going to happen 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, 30 years down the road, 40 years down the road. I have the gift of worry. So it's very easy for me to like let my anxiety take over and my lack of following God, like, it's very easy for me to like not trust God for the future, but it's like, you know what? God has taken care of me in the small times and he wants me to see that he'll, he'll be there 20 years from now when I'm struggling with whatever I'm struggling with then. And in the story, we see that faith is not only internal, but it's external. So faith is in the inside what we believe within us, but also faith moves to the external realm. It, it's not just lip service. It's a lifestyle, I heard somebody say. James would write in his letter, in James 2:18 through23, commenting on this story. But someone may well say, "You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works. As, and as a result of the works, faith was perfected and scripture was fulfilled, which says, and Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. So in the story, God now sees not just the faith that's in his heart, but the faith that allowed him to raise that knife over this most prized possession that he had. And God didn't take it, but in this story, God sees that Abram is all in. Everything he has is God's. Everything he had is from God. And so if God tells him to do something that doesn't make sense to him, he's like, I'm all in, whatever you ask. I'm just broken. Everything is yours. Like, I'm going to walk with you. That's all I care about. Is that I want to be faithful to you? Verse thirteen. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in the thicket by the horns. And Abraham went and took the ram, offered, him, went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. You don't have to be a great theologian to see the theological parallels in this. What we have is a theological term, substitutionary atonement, which means this ram that's caught in the thicket, in the weeds, is now going to become a substitute for Isaac. Jesus, in case you don't see it, was a substitute for you. He was, his life was taken on Golgotha, this same little piece of land where this whole story is unfolded in your place, in my place. God provided a substitutionary atonement for you and for me. And Abram called the name of that place, the Lord will provide as it is said to this day. In the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And I think there's just this wonderful lesson about trust. And it's so cool when God, like, just like sort of like knocks on your door and says hey it 's going to be okay, and he shows you like little touches on Friday, I was talking with somebody, and there was like some uncertainty about the future and provision, and there was like a little bit of like uh, you know like we want to walk by faith, but we want to be responsible, and we want to do like there 's that tension of like from our flesh we have to sort of like be wise, but then there 's like walking by faith, and there 's a great component that God will take care of you and it was like this whole conversation happened, and then like an hour later, God did this whole like Hey guys, I'm right here. You see this? They're like, "Whoa, it's funny how he always does that." God will take care of you. You can walk by faith and the math might not add up. But you just operate faithfully, worship the one who's the ultimate giver, not the blessings and the things that he gives you, and he'll take care of you. He's a good father. He's one who loves you and wants to provide and wants to care for you. So then we read verse 15, then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and he said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, I indeed will greatly bless you and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore and the seed... And your seed shall possess the gates of the, their enemies. In your seed, all the nations, that's including us, shall be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. So there's this repeating of the Abrahamic covenant at the end of Abraham's life. Like we're at the very end of his story. Next week, Sarah's going to die. Then the following week, Abraham's going to die. And so we see sort of the end of this guy who's made all kinds of mistakes. And God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Your faith has matured. You've grown in your relationship with me, and I can see you now. So verse 19, we see, so Abraham returned to his young men, and there they arose, and they went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. It's a southern part of Israel. Then we have verses 21 through the end, after these things, there's going to be a whole list of names. There's one name that you should just sort of circle. There's one name in this next section that's the only name that really matters. No offense guys, the other guys in the the thing here. But in verse 23, you'll read Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Circle Rebekah. This is that's that's like that's the gist of this one. Rebekah, who's going to be Isaac's future wife is her name is dropped and that story's going to unfold as Abraham, as Isaac ultimately uh, meets his wife. So we see this whole storyline of the family tree, but it's to point out that there's this girl, Rebecca, that's going to enter their storyline. And so as we wrap up here, like what do we do with this passage? Like number one, I love that that the story of faith is is a maturing story. It's not like you give your life to Christ and it's like right away you got all the tools in your shed that you're like just instantly mature. Like we struggle in this life, amen? Like, like it's a journey. Um, we see Abraham's faith mature. And I think that we can learn from this that as wherever you are in your faith journey, it might be something really small, but for you, it's a huge thing. And God just is like, hey, I just want you to trust me with this. And if you fail, don't worry. God will give you a retest. Like he's gracious. He's going to give you a retest. There'll be another opportunity. Can't tell you how many times it's like I did something and I blew it. And it was like, oh man, I really blew that moment. But then two weeks later, six months later, God will present another opportunity. And it's like, hey, I passed that one. And then as we pass these little tests, the tests get, like, sort of more and more difficult. And these tests, our faith gets stronger. And it's like, you know what? I saw God respond there and there and there. Like, I think of David with Goliath. Like, you uncircumcised Philistine. God protected me when I did this, this, and this, and this. Like, who are you? You know, like, I just... And that's how our trials become. Like, as we start seeing, like, okay, here we go again. God, transmission just went out, but I saw you take care of it. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I'm going to just trust you. It's going it's to be okay. And I think in this story, there's the power of the father's example to his son. And so here Abraham is going through the motions. But the story is so much bigger than just Abraham. And I think that there's something I think that there's a, a lesson in our in our Christian lives when we begin to realize that God doesn't exist for us, we exist for Him. And, and He's doing something in your life. And when your bottom falls out and you're facing a trial, it's not just about you. It's There's onlookers and there's people watching, your children, how are you navigating this, your neighbors, the people around you. And there's something about... Watching a Christian with their world fall apart and they say, you know what? It's going to be okay. Isaac is watching. Beyond what Abraham could see, there's this huge foreshadowing of the cross. He had no idea. All he knew is that God was asking him to take his son, whom he loves, his only son, the one whom he'd love, to take him. And like, It made no sense. But in the New Testament, we're told that this was a type, a picture of Jesus. And so when we get to John 3, 16, and we read the words, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That this whole story of Abraham and Isaac was this this beginning seed of the story that would unfold. And when I look at story, the story, like, God wants us to be all in. I think John said it somewhere recently. Like, whenever he preached, he talked about being all in. I don't exactly know where he is. But God, like, God wants us to be all in. Like, I'll never forget the conversation with the guy who said, I'm really considering being a Christian, but I just want to know what God wants, God, like, wants of me. I'm like, oh, that's a really easy question to answer. He's like, oh, what is it? He wants everything. Like, every, like everything. He's like, huh, interesting. Okay. Okay. <laughs> You see, God gave all for us. It's a gift. But he wants like, he wants us to reciprocate. And so when we read in Romans 12, 1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. So what he says in Romans is a story of Isaac Like he wants us to offer our lives as a sacrifice, not to kill us, but to like, in some ways it's so much easier to die for your faith or to die for somebody you love, but to like sacrificially love them where you're offering yourself in a way that's like difficult. God says, I want you to be all in. You're everything. You're living in holy sacrifice, acceptable to God. You can translate that word acceptable as reasonable. That this is your reasonable service to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for this story. This is, uh, this is not Christianity 101. This, this is a story at the PhD level of faith. And Father, not many of us can, I don't think any of us can imagine this trial, this testing that Abraham went through but Father, we thank you for his example. We thank you for this man who, as we've gone through the story of Genesis, we've seen his shortfalls, his, his not walking by faith, his stumbling, his operating in the flesh. And so Father, I thank you that you gave him additional opportunities to grow in his walk, to learn from his mistakes, and to see him at the end of his life walking faithfully with you is encouraging for each of us, fall and we miss the mark and we stumble the things that we don't want to do we do and the things uh we like we just we we miss it and so father i thank you that you're a god of of retests and second chances and third chances father i pray that you would move us in our relationship with you maybe that next step is just faith and trusting in you trusting that jesus died for our sins that we would have a relationship with you maybe it's really uh giving more of ourselves away, trusting you with our finances, trusting you with our resources. Father, we pray that you would just help us to grow in our walk of faith with you. We thank you that you're a good, loving God, that you care for us, that you give us good gifts. And we pray, Father, that you would help us in the midst of the blessings that you have bestowed on us, that we would keep our eyes on you, knowing you're the one that we're to worship, not our stuff. It's a hard line to walk sometimes. So we pray that you would keep our worship of you true and pure and good. And it's in Christ's good name, I pray. Amen.